Welcome back to this little mini-series about breaking down the episodes inside the new series called Star Trek Picard. We are with uh, me, Jonathan J.K., no, Adam again, and this is Maps and Legends, episode two. I'm just going to run through some basic thoughts about the episode and try and move through chronologically and then end on a hopeful note with some of the good things that I liked about this episode. So let's begin. Um... It looks like Maddox, Bruce Maddox, the cyberneticist, it looks like he's going to get what he wanted, after all, from the episode, A Measure of a Man. And that means that all the ethics and the discussion about what it means to be sentient, I guess, means nothing. And Bruce Maddox experienced, basically, the backfire effect after he left that station, obviously after the court case, on his way back to the office. Because the opening scenes show an android workforce with limited um, interactive capabilities. And isn't that what Data was fearful of? Well, he can't get fearful because he hasn't got any emotions, but isn't that the point he was trying to make and that Picard took upon himself to explain that you'd be just creating a whole class of people or individuals or sen a sentient race, a half semi-sentient race just to live in servitude to uh, the Federation? And that's what we've got now. That seems all to have been negated. It's all for naught, as they say. Anyway, uh, moving forward, we then move to the uh, CSI Picard scene where they try to figure out stuff. <laughs> um, what's interesting is that there's no basis for the Vashta Narada. Uh, I know it's the Zach Vash or something, but I think Vashta Narada is better from uh, Doctor Who. And they've just created this... Oh. They're a mystery inside a mystery, an enigma inside a, a perplexing conundrum, whatever. So they're, another, they're a double secret thing because the Tal Shiar being a secret police force was kind of redundant anyway because they weren't a secret, which I guess they were right because everyone knew about the Tal Shiar. But now we're led to believe there's a double secret secret police force and they hate artificial life in the physical or computational form, it seems. And that also means that they get to, I mean, when I say they, this episode gets to um, contradict a previous Star Trek The Next Generation episode, which is the defector, when that Romulan Admiral, who's defecting, sits down for a couple of minutes with Data and says, ooh, I know a bunch of cyberneticists who want to wank you off. And that, I guess, they don't exist now because the Zag Vash are always there in Romulan society, killing anyone's hopes and dreams with regard to creating a sentient uh, being. Anyway, that little bit of convenient world building um, contradicts some episodes, and again, there's no basis for it. They're just... And so all of that serves a quick bit of discussion just to say, oh, it's the Zatvash, but we have no basis for actually proving that it's the Zatvash, or the Zatvash, whatever. Vashna Narada, I can remember their name, and we're just given exposition by an, an Irish Romulan lady, which in itself is also weird. Why has she got an Irish accent? Why is this Romulan, who's living in France, why has she not got a French accent? That I could understand, because she's been living on Earth for so long, just as much as Scarlet Witch in the Marvel movies, her Russian accent or her uh, that breakaway state from the Russian Federation, um, can't remember, but over the course of the movies, her accent did actually gradually fade away. So if you're helping Captain Picard for the last 20 years or so, uh, making wine, I would have thought she would have picked up a French accent, not a Romulan accent. But anyway, the show introduces us to uh, a British and a Romulan uh, speaking Romulan. Yeah, I said that. 
But what happened to all the Romulan Romulans? You know, like from any other episode of Star Trek, TNG, DS9, or Voyager, they all had like a a universal sort of way of speaking, obviously because of the universal translator, but they all had an accent, didn't they? Um, just like all the English speakers had an accent. Uh, sorry, had a, the same accent, a Federation sort of style accent. Why have we got these naturalized accents from coming out of Romulan mouths? This is, uh, this episode also likes to use techno babble and at first on my first watch and this episode likes to share some techno babble and on first watch I thought oh this is classic Trek but it's actually meaningless some of you who are maybe passive to watching Star Trek will probably say actually all the techno babble is meaningless but actually the previous Treks had their techno techno babble sort of established off real world projections of what we would have that's why Captain Kirk is shown to have an iPad but the producers of the show kept that and kept it running in a sense that they built off that so they would actually send the writing team um when the when the writers were writing an episode they would just put techno babble and they would send it to somebody else who would establish all the rules of the world so that nothing would contradict and yet this episode seems to want to make you believe that you can recreate particles from a scan and you know what people did a previous couple of nights before including the sounds that they actually uttered out of their mouths as well and I, I i don't know how that would work whereas the heisenberg compensators seem like something that could actually work in star trek and i do believe they justify it in the various technical manuals that are available for sale it's just so weird uh on a second watch which i had to watch even though i, I don't I, even though later in the episode i say it has no replay value i watched it again with with raya I try to watch it twice, uh, one by myself so I can analyse everything and then, again, just to settle in with what I've watched and then see her reaction. Um, but that's not to say, uh, you know, like in Doctor Who, the techno babble there is all over the place. And I don't mind because that's part of the fun of watching Doctor Who. Um, but here, it, it should be established on something that's actually believable. Yeah, but transporters aren't real. Yeah, but replicators aren't real. Just shut up. <laughs> Um, why the pretentiousness around calling the art, the ball cube the artifact? I, I don't get that. It's just the ball cube. Why is it an artifact? It's not like we don't know what it is. And the actual definition of what an artifact is says that it's something that has a historical or cultural interest. Well, I don't think the Romulans have a historical uh, care for the ball cube because it's a ball cube. And the cultural interest may be a little bit more because they want to augment their culture with clever Borg technology. I guess we'll find out later. Um, one of the revelations that doesn't contradict Star Trek TNG is um, Picard has the aromatic syndrome that all good things sets up. And they say that it will become a problem later in life. And here we are with Picard later in life. And he's getting a medical scan or he's had a medical test with a previous member of the stargazer and supposedly he's borderline frail or borderline not frail to be able to travel in space okay but my mind instantly raced to admiral mccoy who was far more frail than picard in the very first episode of star trek and he seemed to be like 130 he seemed to be fine um floating through space in starships and as my girlfriend pointed out why is picard made out to be so frail when this is obviously set in the future and medical technology is supposed to be exponentially better. And yet even today, the Queen of England is still driving her car and she's like 110. 
doesn't matter. We need to get the Bruce Maddox. We need to find Bruce Maddox. Um, I do love the I do love it, but I don't love it kind of thing. After the scene with the Stargazer medical officer, although it could have been a great chance to see Gates McFadden, but I do actually like the inclusion of previous officers that Picard has served with, um, so I won't berate it too much. Um, it, I just miss Gates McFadden personally because when I was younger, she was a fellow ginger, and I loved I loved Gates. Um, we get a sort of woke in joke by the writers where Picard says, "I don't get science fiction." And it's like, yes, we know. Anybody who's critical of this new Star Trek series or Star Trek Discovery knows that the writers don't get science fiction or they don't get Star Trek at least. Um, but maybe I'm too cynical because Picard actually turned around to se- and said to Gates McFadden in a previous episode of uh, TNG, uh, she sa- he said, I'm not much of an actor. And I was like, damn, you're playing with us. So I can go 50-50. Uh, with that sort of like a knowing wink innocent knowing wink by Picard there when he says he's not an actor even though he's one of the finest living thespians today they make a point about the paintings these two people who are meeting Picard and that lady from the Dacian Institute um, and they said something like it would make sense to copy their likeness from the paintings in the first place and it's like why why would it make sense it's this is one of those examples of a throwaway line and yet it should actually be backed up by something uh, that would make sense. I guess it doesn't matter. We've got to find Maddox uh, for some reason. Why do we have to find Maddox? Again, another leap of logic somewhere. This made me think, though, so I want to probably provide some assertion to that scene. Um, if there is, if it does make sense, it would only make sense, I guess, at the moment, if Maddox is trying to send Picard a message, even though it would be one hell of a convoluted message. Okay, quick questions, because I don't want to spend all day doing this. Uh, question one. We have an evil Admiral plot line again, and why? Can't we think of something more original? There was always an evil Admiral in Star Trek Next Generation. And why doesn't Picard get more respect from Starfleet or from this particular Admiral? And yes, I know he was on TV recently, but what about all the stuff that he's done in his uh, years of service? And if you just want to mention two of them, because imagine having two reasons not to ever hate Picard. One is defeating the Borg. Two is defeating the Borg again by going back in time. And three, I know I said two, but the first two are kind of the same, but doubled up. Um, The third one is that Picard stopped uh, his clone from Star Trek Nemesis in destroying Earth. Question two, why is the Admiral swearing? Is it just to make this edgy? and make it more adult-themed. I mean, I'm all for making TV shows and movies more adult, but Star Trek was always a kid's show, and now kids can't watch it. Double dumbass on you as well! And you never really had swear words, apart from that one time that Data said it, and that should have gone down in the annuals annuals of history as being the only swear word ever uttered in um, Star Trek. Unless some of the Klingons were throwing out some F-bombs in... uh, the Klingonese language. Um, but other than double dumbass on you, I thought they didn't need to swear in the future. Question three, did you catch the Father Ted reference? What's the Father Ted? Okay, Father Ted is a comedy show made by the BBC and there was an Irish lady. You can see where this is going, can't you? There was an Irish lady who would always bring a cup of tea and then she would go, I'll go on, Father. Have a cup of tea now, Father. I'll go on. I'll go on. I'll go on. And obviously there's a Romulan 
Irish lit. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Fuck it. Um, question four. Oh, you swore as well, Jonathan. You swore. Children can't listen to this podcast. Shut up. Question four. Picard was on TV, but the guy at the desk doesn't know who Picard is. Does that make sense? No. Number five. How does Picard know the other twin isn't already dead? Because the first twin got killed with such ferocity, um, one would assume that they'd try and go after, uh, from his point of view, of course, they would try and go after the second twin and kill her. Because we don't know why that Romulan uh, bit something and then spat the acid out uh, instead of just beaming her away, of course. Um, and now they're trying a softly, softly approach with the other one. But this was happening simultaneously. So why did they kidnap Daj so aggressively so that she activated? That's because it, it moves the plot forward. And then the second one um, isn't isn't attacked or uh, kidnapped, even though she's inside basically the uh, the lair of the beast with, with, with regards to the Romulans. Um, it's just weird. Anyway, those are the quick questions. Overall... Uh, this episode has loads of scenes where there's so much vague conversation, especially between the, the Commodore. Nice to see a Commodore, by the way, um, expressed on screen, apart from uh, the original series, and the Lieutenant. And then the Lieutenant has a vague conversation with the British Romulan guy. And it's like, why? You're not really moving the plot forward. In fact, this episode doesn't really move the plot forward at all because we're still stuck on Earth, even though this is called Star Trek. And there are some scenes that are done better here than they were done in the first episode. Um, so what did we actually learn? just about the Vashta Narada who contradict uh, previous episodes of Star Trek. Um, in the last episode, I said Star Trek Picard was better than Encounter at Farpoint. That was its saving grace. If I compared this second episode to any other episode, I know it's not entirely fair, but I like to reflect on previous episodes from other uh, more brilliant, possibly more brilliant Star Trek series. We've got The Naked Now, which was ridiculous, um, but I did watch it recently, and that's the second episode of Star Trek, uh, TNG. And it's like a continuation of that weird virus that got into with uh, the original series. Or we can go for either past prologue or A Man Alone from DS9. I know one is chronologically in front of the other, in, well, like in terms of production, but the other one's in front of the other in terms of uh, star date or something. Um, but whatever, both of those episodes are really good. And obviously past prologue introduces us to Garrick, so that's a slam dunk if you're going to watch any second episode ever again. Um, I don't even remember what the second Voyager episode was, but it was bullshit. I know that. Um, so if it was repeating Star Trek, yeah, definitely give uh, past prologue uh, a gander. Plus it's got the the uh, Lursa twins, the Lursa sisters. Oh, fun fact, by the way, Lursa and Bator. I think Bator was the younger one and she was the more beautiful one, right? But I recently looked at their headshots on IMDb and it's actually Lursa who's the more attractive one. Isn't that an irony? I guess that goes along with all the ugly men that was paired that were paired with beautiful women on DS9. Yeah, so overall, this episode is really slow. The pacing is really off. It's out of whack compared, especially compared to this to the first episode. Um, I can't say I'll ever watch this one again. Not because I hated it and it contradicted Star Trek. It's actually because it was just slow and boring. It, it's as simple as that. It just isn't rewatchable. As in, it has no replay value. <laughs> and. Again, this is another knock against the serialized format these show writers are attempting. And I'm sorry, but it was done better in uh, DS9. And the last thing I want to mention is that Dave Cullen of the Dave Cullen Show says that this Star Trek is actually anti-Star Trek in terms of in terms of it regressing uh, in dialogue and in the philosophy um, from Gene Roddenberry because it's supposed to be hopeful. Um, 
And this is because, with regard to dialogue, this is because the people are talking like we do today. Like, people say, dude, and hell yeah. And yet, no one spoke like that in the previous incarnations of any of the TV series, except maybe Lieutenant Tom Paris, who was a sort of 19th century, 20th century uh, sort of aficionado, wasn't he? So he could say dude if he wanted to. It was in his vocabulary. But everybody else in almost the 25th century, uh, I just don't get it. Uh, but I do get what Dave Cullen is saying. I agree with him on that. And he's also a fellow ginger. Uh, okay, I'm going to end on good things because I want to be hopeful and I want to sort of stay on track. At least someone has to stay on track with being optimistic for our future. So I have three good things to say. In fact, four good things to say about Star Trek, uh, episode two of Star Trek Picard. And that is the opening scene where the android takes over. I mean, the old, writers do say you have to show, not tell. And that's what this episode was doing with regards to figuring out uh, or showing what happened on Mars. And the first episode was a sort of hackneyed sort of writer's way of expressing plot through that kind of contrivance of having an interview when this episode does it so much better. And I think the episode, the first episode might be even stronger with this scene where the android takes over everything in the first episode. Also, what's with what's with building starships on the uh, on the planet surface? All the starships were built in space. J.J. Um, Abrams has this thing. His production company have this thing for building starships on planets for some reason. Um, anyway, I said I'd do good things, so it's a good scene. I liked it, even though the dialogue. Stop it! You said you'll do good things. Okay. <laughs> the Romulans all different shapes and sizes. So, uh, aside from accents, you've got the classic Trek. Romulans with no foreheads and then you've got these other Romulans with foreheads. I kind of like that just as much as we've got black people, Chinese people, uh, little people, uh, Neanderthals if they were, if they stuck around we'd have these different types and, and I don't mind actually, I don't have a big deal about it. Some people on the internet might um, but maybe it'd be nice to see a couple of Remans as well you know, because since both homeworlds got destroyed so I've been led to believe, wouldn't it be nice to have Remans thrown into the mix uh, the other good thing I liked was the member of the Stargazer. Even though I'd, we would all like to see Gates McFadden come back as Dr. Beverly Crusher, uh, the fact that there was another medical officer that Captain Picard uh, had a relationship with, not sexual, of course, um, he's introduced. I don't mind it. I liked it. And um, the last thing I'm going to add to this that I liked is that I'm slightly changing my mind about Starfleet's inaction with helping the Romulans, even though the narrative from the end of DS9 and Sergeant Nemesis was trying to set up the Romulans uh, as being peaceful allies going into the future. And I'm only sort of going 50-50 on it now because there have been precedents where Starfleet has done something shifty towards a group of alien races. I mean, you only have to go back to, again, I keep banging you over the head with it, but DS9, my favorite, favorite TV show. But one of the... Uh, best episodes is in the pale moonlight and starfleet do decide to sort of shaft the romulans again by allowing captain cisco to lie and fabricate um a reason for the romulans to get into the war so i can't go 50 50 on it but something like the episode in the pale moonlight had a fuck ton of moralizing and justification for their actions whereas starfleet here is just like no we're not gonna i ah, i'm ending on a bad note no no i'm not I, ultimately, I think I can go 50-50 on this at the moment. Maybe the other episodes will change my mind. Um, 
Whereas before in the first episode, I was like, no way. Why would Starfleet do that? That seems silly. Um, but there we are. This is a good thing. I'm 50-50, almost on the side of the writers with the way they've written it now. There we go. That was uh, Maps and Legends, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening.